0: Welcome to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations that explore diverse topics and stories that impact our communities. I'm your host, Rasha Kowal, and joining me today is a very special guest. She is a dynamic writer, speaker, and advocate who seamlessly weaves her experiences as a second-generation Korean-American mother and faith leader into her impactful work, with a unique background transitioning from journalism to ministry, she's a passionate voice for justice, race, gender, and faith. It is my pleasure to welcome Kathy Kang to Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Kathy, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Russia.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. Um, you've got quite the journey. So, so let's start off just talking about how you transitioned from journalism into ministry. You know, what inspires you to take that um, change? And then maybe a little bit also about growing up as a second generation Korean American in the US.
1: That is a great question because I think uh, the idea of growing up as a second generation Korean American now, versus what it was like for me back in 1970 when my family immigrated to the United States is so different, it is so different. So when I came, I was eight months old, there was no H-Mart, there was no K-pop. I'm not even sure where my parents went to go get the groceries that they needed. I know that they brought a lot of the spices that they were used to using. So um, that idea of uh, understanding culture in the broader context has been so different. So for me, it was growing up as one of the few. And when I um, actually moved to the suburbs, my family was the only family of color at that time. And so uh, growing up as second gen Korean American meant really trying to figure out what it meant to be Korean at home, and then trying to figure out what it meant to be a part of the world around me. Um, I actually don't have a lot of strong memories from my early elementary school years, and I think it has to do with entering kindergarten, not speaking English and kind of the trauma of entering into that. And the ESL programs were not equipped for somebody who spoke Korean. And so I just don't have a lot of strong memories, but I will say my first entry and my decision to go into journalism had a lot to do with mentors in high school. And I think it was interesting and fascinating that I chose a field That was in my second language and not in my first. And that over the years, I have lost so much of my first language because of the dominance of my second language. And so I would say that actually has a lot to do with explaining my experience growing up as second generation Korean American at the time that I did, which was I had a very strong sense of what was primary and what was my first. And that that eventually kind of was taken over by what would become second, but what would become eventually much more dominant in my life. And so I went into journalism. I think my parents were hoping that I would kind of grow out of that <laughs> and go Mine are still into... hoping for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine are still hoping for that. <laughs> you know, it, it does still come up, but I have said- We have sent all three of my children, their grandchildren, to college. So, no, it is not on the table. I am not going to law school. They need to get over that. Um, But uh, so journalism was a way to express myself and to tell stories, not only my own, but the stories of other people. And I really loved that. And then as I continued writing, I found that that was a way to find my own voice. So it was challenging to find my voice as kind of a a person out front. My leadership was going to be taken in different ways. So my physical presence was a challenge to the understanding of what leadership could look like. But I found in writing, I could find my distinct voice and I could craft that in private. And I loved that aspect of it. Um, And then the leap and the shift into ministry uh, is actually more of a straight line than it looks like on paper. So in college, I was a part of an Asian American ministry on campus at my undergraduate school. And I had been asked to think about coming on to ministry right away. And I said, no, I can't because I have a full-time job offer during um, a time in history where people weren't getting full-time job offers. And I wanted to see what that field offered me, having you know committed four years of my undergrad. So I held that opportunity and that invitation to think about full-time ministry and kind of kept it as a pin, and then went into journalism. And I will say I loved it. I loved being in the newspaper industry. I loved being on deadline. I loved meeting people from all different walks of life, telling various stories. Um, But at some point, I think the hunger to really focus on Asian American college students and their development of faith is what brought me back to the very place. Um, I went back to ministry at my undergrad with the same fellowship that I was a part of. And so that was the transition, yeah.
0: Oh, that is so interesting. And
1: And I love how
0: both of these kind of, in a way, interweaved with each other, but just came to you at interesting times. I'm gonna jump real quick because we were talking about voices. Um, Mm -hmm. And now even as a voice, as an author, your role as an author, you have your book, Raise Your Voice, which focuses on empowering women to find their voices and engage in leadership, which you're doing. So what inspired you to contribute to this book and and what impact do you hope to have on women that are striving to make a difference in the world?
1: I um, actually took a long time to decide to write that book. And I think it has to do with my background as a second generation Korean American. I wrote that book in my 40s and uh, it took me a long time. And so I find it fascinating to read and cheer on authors who are writing books about empowering one another and finding their own kind of what their jam is and they're writing these books in their 20s and 30s. And so I wanted to come from a place of somebody who really struggled and even in writing the proposal for the book, I recognize that the the, the stories I heard in culture and the messages that I heard around me were that people like me were not leaders. People like me didn't have a voice. People like me still needed to learn and give way to majority culture voices. And so when I sat down and finally decided, no, it's time for me to write this book, I came from that place of really having to fight with myself and fight that that sense of being an imposter
0: I think you bring up a very, very important point. Now, as you were talking to, I was just thinking about the years of experience, too, that you bring to the table, especially in contributing to that leadership aspect. Now, you've authored several books. You've contributed to various publications. I'd love to talk to you about, I mean, they're around justice and leadership and um, discipleship. How do you hope that your words impact others?
1: I hope that... Um... People actually forget about me and uh, what they do is they take the words that they've heard or read and they really impact their personal lives so that there's a shift in their understanding of their faith and their understanding of how their faith impacts the world around them so that it's not just about how I'm going to get to heaven and what happens to me when I die. But that, how they live in their daily lives, in their communities, with their families and their neighbors, that is what makes the shift. Um, I don't care about whether or not my book is highlighted or they remember. Oh, it was this book that Kathy Kong wrote. I don't care. That doesn't really matter to me. I just hope that the things that they've read or heard me say make them take a pause, maybe question the way they've understood their faith, and then offer up an invitation to make some changes, to care a little bit more about what's happening in the world around them, and not just broadly out there, but in their neighborhoods, in their schools, in their communities, and to think, what does it look like to make an impact because of my faith, that my faith is what compels me to get engaged? So, Kathy, on that note, I'd love to
0: ask you, how has faith impacted you throughout your journey?
1: Yeah, so I tell people that my activism, my advocacy is all because of my faith and, you know, full disclosure being a christian now raises a lot of eyebrows people want to know what kind of christian <laughs> what does that mean because how shall i put it the politics around faith have become divisions um not just in the world around us but even between neighbors between friends between families and uh and so i'm cautious as i enter into that but proudly and very clearly understand that it is my faith that compels me to care deeply about justice, that it is my faith in God and in Jesus that compels me to say, oh, yeah, this thing, that's racist. That's a problem. And that's something that I need to get engaged in and to help correct and so um, my faith doesn't allow me to stay on the sidelines. It's actually what pushes me into the game.
0: You bring up a very interesting point, especially mentioning racism amongst that. Um, I can imagine in facilitating these conversations around race and reconciliation could be challenging. So how would you say, how do you navigate these sometimes difficult conversations to have, and then to help foster an understanding amongst individuals that have diverse perspectives.
1: Sure. So I uh, like to remind folks that we didn't land in our beliefs just because, right? There were people who influenced us as well as questions that we asked. And so I like to really invite, especially other Christians and people of faith, what kind of questions feel unsafe and why do they feel unsafe? Uh, because we, uh, when we enter into these really hot topics and potentially divisive topics, politics, right, that's a hot topic. It can be one that people choose not to engage, and I totally understand why, because it can feel like you're just never going to win. And so even that perspective, I I invite people to say, this isn't a, a conversation that we're trying to win. This isn't a way of winning points or people for our team. And that is a challenge for some of us who grew up in certain Christian circles because that is how we approached our faith. It was to win people over onto our side. And so I approach it as what are the questions that we asked or we were asked that invited us into our faith? What are the questions that we ask of ourselves or have been asked of us that invite us into a deeper faith? So take those similar questions and enter into those conversations that can be really challenging, really divisive, and really hard. Because I think, I hope that we understand our entry into faith is not an easy one. It's not an easy one to walk daily in faith. And so how do we approach those differences that are very important? that are life-changing and life-threatening. I mean, racism on some level, on any level, really is dangerous. It is life-threatening. How do we approach that with questions that invite people to understand and to interrogate their own beliefs?
0: And I think during these times, too, it's so pivotal to have these conversations. So it's, it's great that we can have leaders like yourself to actually help navigate these conversations. I'm going to jump back to the cultural upbringing and background. Um, how would you say that your cultural background has influenced your work and your passion for addressing these issues that are related to race, to faith, and to gender?
1: It is interesting. I will say that um, my parents are always a little concerned at how public I am with the things that I am most passionate about. And I remind them that it is their teaching and their support that made me so passionate about these things. I had a very clear, beautiful understanding at home of what it meant to be Korean, And so I saw um, my ability to be bilingual as a beautiful thing and as a strong thing. To have language and words um, in two places that can mean the same things. And I love my food. I love my people. I love the traditions that I grew up with. And I know that it took a lot of energy and commitment on the, on the part of my parents to continue that. And so I take that cultural understanding and I intersect that with my faith and my culture. And so for me, I see that I can't separate the two and, um, and then there was all of the torment of trying to understand what it meant to be Korean-American, right? In a world that says you have to choose, you have to pick. So even though there are boxes for us to pick now, um, that still then says we are not fully American. <laughs> yes. And, right? Yes. And so I think that is where I continue to kind of invite people is that I am not caring about what it means to be fully American. I am caring about what it means to be that um, intersection of Korean American, Asian American, and a woman, and a parent, and somebody who's engaged in my community. Because if we only separate out the one, um, I have to leave behind this entire legacy and history that I think shapes and forms me. I agree. And I
0: love how you said that because I think for a lot of us who come from a different cultural background, there has been that struggle of, you know, being the, the Asian part of you, like being Indian and celebrating that, but having to choose that, well, I want to be American and fit into. And I think as I'm listening to you, I feel like you and I have been through similar struggles because of where we've been through. And yes, of course, now the times have changed. Right. And now, I mean, you and I had this conversation earlier where I said, oh yeah, being Indian is exotic now. And everybody is into the, I mean, there was a time people came to my home and when I was growing up and they said, oh, your house smells weird. And those are the same smells of the food that people, the chicken tikka masala and the chai and the samosas.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And yet they love our food, but they're still trying to figure out what it means to love us.
0: Oh, Kathy, that is so beautifully said. Yes, I agree with you. And there, yeah, and I think we're still navigating those waters. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like there's so much more we could talk about. I have a few minutes here. So I do want to talk about your upcoming book. You've co-authored a book that's coming out in October called Loving Disagreement. Um, and you've done that um, with your a friend, I believe, right? So yes. I'd love to hear about that. And um, tell us a little bit about what we can
1: expect with this book. Yeah, so I've co-authored the book with a friend and uh, podcast co-host, Matt Michalotis. And the subtitle for the book is Fighting for Community Through the Fruit of the Spirit. And, um, you know, the world around us is pretty um, divided. (laughs) And um, Christians, I think, are not doing necessarily a great job of bridging those divides. And so this is an invitation to our readers and hopefully to a set of new folks who are not necessarily familiar with me or Matt to engage in scripture, to revisit the fruit of the spirit and see that as a great framework for engaging in disagreement, to say that how we live, how we approach how we um, invite people with very different beliefs to sit at a table together and talk. We don't even have to fight. How does it look to just talk? And so we are excited about it. It comes out in October Um I think that this next year is going to be very challenging with politics. And so I think it's a great time for Christians to re-engage in being able to um, enter into loving disagreement. I love that. And where can people find the book? So it is... Um online for pre-sale everywhere where books are sold, including, you know, that big space with the big big billionaire who sells lots of books online. (laughs) So you can go... (laughs) You can can go online and Google Loving Disagreement, Kathy Kong, and it will pop up and you can choose to um, purchase that book or go to your local independently owned bookstore and ask them to pre-order that for you.
0: Kathy Kong, it has been such a pleasure having you on our show today. Where can people find you on social media or online?
1: Uh, they can find me with the handle at Ms. Kathy Kong on Instagram, what used to be Twitter, and I have entered into the TikTok space. So those are the three spaces that I am most uh, frequenting. And you can also find me on my blog, which is kathykong.com.
0: And Kathy is with a K and Kong is also K-H-A-N-G. Correct. Thank you. Oh, excellent. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for making the time to come onto our show today. Thank you. We'd also love to hear from all of you, our valued listeners, about any suggestions on future guests or topics that you are interested in. And also, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our Asian and Pacific Islander communities with a voice through media arts. Now, if you would like to support our program, please do visit us at AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm Rasha Goel, and once again, it has been such a pleasure tuning in with all of you. I thank you for listening. Please do join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Pacific Voices radio show. Take care until then, everyone.